So I want to again invite you, if you have a Bible, to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me this morning. This is my first baby dedication at Calvary Baptist Church. So the church is still getting used to me, and I'm getting used to them. We've had a good journey thus far for about the last 13, 14 months, and all yet these little things come up, and you're going to find for me that I want to make a really big deal of baby dedications. They're not just tag-ons at the end of services. I want to make much of them, and so that's why when I do baby dedications, I preach about it, I uplift the family. There's a lot of things down here on the table. You're going to see a whole bunch of things that are happening because I believe that baby dedications are not just about two parents and a child, but really, as the world has said, it takes a community to raise a child, and I believe even better than that, it takes a community of believers, a church, to raise a child and influence a child. But to set this up, I do want to uh, kind of give you the big idea. So for John and Jennifer and for Spencer and Lori that are downstairs, they'll come up in a little bit, I want to make sure you guys realize fundamentally that fulfilling the Great Commission begins at home. It begins at home. And I want everybody in our church here to know that. And so I'm really going to talk to you guys about three things. Number one, love God. Number two, example Christ. And number three, Give grace. Give grace. That's my advice to all of you. And so we're going to look at that today. But kind of on a lighter side, I do want to uh, talk about this, parenting, where if you don't have kids, you might be tempted to think you're an expert, and if you do, you instantly feel like a dum-dum. How many of you relate to that? There we go. Yes, that's right. I can get a witness for those types of things, right? When I was studying for these things uh, and baby dedications and for family and stuff, I came across this story I heard about a young student, a, a bright, very top-of-his-class student of clinical child behavior. He frequently delivered a lecture and was actually quite famous. And here was the title of his lecture, Ten Commandments for Parents. The story goes that he got married, became a father, and he changed the title of his lecture as he went on tour the second time, and it was altered to Ten Hints for Parents. Then the story goes that he had a second child, and he renamed his lecture again to Some Suggestions for Parents. The story goes that he had a third child, and he stopped lecturing. All right? This is the thing. You'll find everybody has an opinion about how to parent, how to raise kids, what to do, what you shouldn't do. But ultimately, let's get back to the Bible, to the Word of God. So I would submit as a big idea for everybody here this morning that God and God alone creates life. Let me say that again. God and God alone creates life. We don't. We might be a part of the process, but it's God and God alone. But think with me for a second about this idea that God and God alone creates life. In the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, here is what the Bible says. It just assumes God exists, and this is what God says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is a discussion of the Trinity, and here's what is said. And let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Now notice this, male and female, he created them. But God is, so God is also the only one, he is not only our one and only creator, but God is also the only one who saves us as well. And we saw that in the video earlier and the question in our bulletin. And so for Spencer and Lori, 
who are downstairs, for John and Jennifer who are here, for every parent that is in this room today. In fact, I would say for every man and woman in this room today, before we even begin, I want us to realize that God is our creator and God is our redeemer. We can only turn to God. It's the only viable option you have that not only makes sense, but eternally satisfies. And that's very important for us as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, as we turn there, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to be honest within your own hearts. How do you think we are doing as this church at Calvary? I don't want to judge anybody else. How do you think we're doing at passing on the gospel from one generation to the next as this church? For those of you that maybe are older, maybe you have raised your family, maybe your children are older, maybe you feel, man, I've served enough in church. Are you tempted to say, you know, I'm pulling back, I'm pulling back from God and the church. I'm still in, but, you know, I've, I've served my time. I think the job is done. One of my favorite stories at my last ministry in Prince Edward Island, and I, don't try, I try not to name names, but this one I'm going to. Dear Saint, she's a dear sister to Debbie and I. Her name is Donna McDougal. Donna's well into her 70s. And a couple of years ago at our church in, at, uh, at Grace Baptist, before God called me here to Newfoundland, we really found that God revived our church and we had a real renewal in our church and we really started getting back into the Bible, back into the Word of God. And we started all of these different little groups and we started studying God's Word systematically. And Donna one day stopped by my office in her mid-70s and she sat down and tears ran down her face and she said, Pastor, I've known Jesus for 35 years but I've discovered and learned more of him in the last two years than I did the last 20. And she said, I'm so excited. She said, please, don't put me out to pasture. She acted, she acted like uh, Caleb in the book of Joshua. And when Caleb goes to Joshua and says, give me this mountain. And Donna said, give me, I will serve the kids. I'll bake, I'll cook. You give me something to do, I'll go do it. She was excited. And I will tell you something. She was like the grandma of our church. All the kids loved her. All the teenagers loved her. Many of them would wait in the foyer for her to show up because she always brought muffins and cookies and some sort of sweets. And she was just excited to be around all the people in the church. So for those of you that are older, don't quit. Don't take a time out. Don't retire from God in ministry. Serve the Lord. Many of us, Christian parents, grandparents, Pastors, teachers have begun fearing and feeling that maybe we're losing the race a little bit with the culture. Maybe we are. We're muffing the transfer, so to speak, that our kids are dropping the baton. If you read it all, Josh McDowell has repeatedly said that he considers the number one fear of Christian parents today is that they will not pass on their values and their morals and their faith to their children. And is it any wonder? Think about it. Here's some of the things that I read this past week. We look around at a society where teen pregnancy has increased over 500% in the past 30 years. 500%. In fact, if you study pop culture at all, Much Music airs a reality television program called Teen Mom. And if you follow any of the people that have been featured on that, it's nothing but a tale of tragedy. We look around in a society in which suicide among young people has jumped 300% in the same period. 
We look around at a society in which over 1,000 teen girls get abortions every day in the United States with hundreds in Canada. There are 1,000 abortions in the city of St. John's every year. 100,000 abortions in the country of Canada. We look around at a society in which over 4,000 teenagers catch a sexually transmitted disease every day. And we worry. I do. I'm a dad. We worry that society is going to seize our kids. We fear, I fear that the culture is going to capture our children, that our kids will soon be making choices and living lives and paying the consequences of a value system they've picked up from the world around them. And this value system is one that rejects the truth of the Bible. The Bible is an option, but it's not truth. They mock biblical morality. There's glorification and sex and violence. Turn on your television. That's what it is. And a world that laughs at drunkenness and rudeness. And need I say anything more than Exhibit A, Justin Bieber. That's all you need. But here's the thing. Now let's get, before we, we put our shoulders back, stick our chest out and say, yes, aren't we the good people of this great city? All right. Well, what are we as Christians laughing at? What and how are we living? How does this gospel that you and I hear many people in this room claim to believe in and cling to affect every area of our life? And I submit that Deuteronomy chapter 6 is exactly what we're, we need to look, not only for the Hancocks and for the Mannings, but for everybody in this room. So let me give you a bit of background, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gave Israel, all right? Um, really, God gave Israel, but he also gives you, our families that are here, the baton of the gospel. The whole, the whole church family here, this is a blueprint for holiness. This is a blueprint for how we pass the gospel on from generation to generation. And I would submit that it's just as effective today in 2016 as it was over 4,000 years ago when this was written. And as I said to John and Jennifer, and I say also to Lori and Spencer, that to fulfill the Great Commission, you got to start at home. And that's regardless of what your home is made up of. If you're single here this morning, if you're a married couple here this morning, if you have children or don't have children, it's the same. And there's something in Deuteronomy 6 for everybody in this room. Now again, background, Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 11 are often called by theologians the chapters of commands and warnings. It's a real pick-me-up kind of nabal. You know, it's one you just really want to turn to when you want to go get pick-me-up as you go to your Bible. Let's go to the great commands and warnings. Not many people go there, all right? But chapters 6 to 11 of Deuteronomy deal with personal lives of people, men, women, people in real life, in real time. But more than that, in this chapter especially, God is going to explain to real people the nature of the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. I don't know if you realize this, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was written by Moses after the nation of Israel had been enslaved for over 400 years by the nation of Egypt. God finally, through miracles, you read about it in this chapter when Brother Jeff read it, frees the nation of Israel. And as they are heading across the wilderness to go to the promised land, God comes to Moses and gets him to write what is now called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is the law. And this is where God tells the nation of Israel, here's how humanity came to be. Here's how I chose you. Here's why you went to Egypt. Here's why I delivered you. Here's where you're headed. And here's how you're going to live while you're there. And so that's the background of all of these things. So you'll see this, and remember my three points. 
love God. You see that in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 6. 7 to 13 is example Christ. And verses 14 to 25 is give them grace. So let's review these, and then we're going to come to our time of baby dedication. Number one, so John and Jennifer, for Lori and Spencer, and for every family here, number one, love God with all your heart as parents and as a people. Love God with all your heart as parents and as a people. That's in verses 1 to 6. I want you to notice what Moses says in verse 1. Notice what he says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules. Notice, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. I want you to take notice of that. He says, Moses tells the people of Israel, I would tell everybody here, God is your God. So here's my question. Is he? Is he your God? Moses tells the people something about what God told them. It stands in the very... He says, now this is the commandment. So we need to realize these things are commands. They're not... He doesn't say, these are the suggestions of God. He doesn't say, this is the advice of God. He starts by saying, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules of God. And notice what he says, that the Lord commanded me to teach you... And that as you go over, and then verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughters, your son's sons, keeping, by keeping all his statutes, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Then he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, in verse 4, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These are the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is a command. Now, do you see the, the correlation between Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 6, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, which is why I said the Great Commission starts at home. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus comes to his disciples after he has risen from the dead, and he's about to ascend to heaven forevermore, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus claims to be God. He right there says, I am God, I have all authority. And here's the result of that authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if I can take a time out, I really believe that a lot of churches in this city are pretty good at this first part. There are a number of churches in this city that are good at saying that you need to know God. You need to accept Him. And we've got all kinds of colorful words. Are you born again? Are you converted? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you prayed a sinner's prayer? Have you been to the altar? Have you been to the mercy seat? There's all kinds of colorful cliches and, and all these things that we have. But we forget the second half, which is actually proof that you've actually met Jesus. When He says, teaching them to observe, notice this, all that I have commanded you. So it's not good enough just to say, I know Jesus, if knowing Jesus hasn't done something for you and to you. And are we as churches, are we as families, as we as parents, are we good at not only telling our children about God, but that because when you know God, it changes us, we follow Him, we trust Him, we believe in what He says. And I love this promise, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Deuteronomy 6 tells us the reason obedience is brought out like this is simple. 
See, obedience to God's laws, obedience to God's statutes, obedience to God's testimony is proof that we love God. Now think about that for a minute. I'm, I'm married to Debbie, and um, Debbie and I, almost 24 years ago, stood in a church and we, we made covenant vows to each other and we promised to be loyal to each other. Can you imagine if we did all the wedding ceremony, we ex- exchanged rings, we said, you know, and I will love thee and cherish thee in sickness and in health and all this type of stuff, and we did the big kiss, you may kiss the bride, and what God has put together, let no man put asunder, and we did all that, and everybody stood and clapped and we walked out, and then we got out in the foyer and I kissed Debbie on the cheek and said, honey, great to be married to you, I'm going downtown now to find a hooker and I'll be back tonight. Do you think Debbie feels married? What's the proof of the marriage? The proof of the marriage is now I'm actually going to do what I promised to do, isn't it? That because something happened between me and Debbie, that now that results in something. It changes my behavior. It changes the way I see the world. It changes the way I see other people. And now my focus is only for her. When you meet Jesus, and I really mean meet him, it changes you from the inside out, and forever. And it doesn't feel weighty. It doesn't feel like legalism. And so John and Jennifer, and for Lori and Spencer, for all the parents here, you want to influence your kids with the gospel? Then obey God. Obey God. Now, that's not not in legalism, all right? Let me make sure you get this. See, legalism screams, I obey God, so hopefully God will like me, hopefully God will accept me, and hopefully I can earn his favor and and his love. But in love, when you really know God, you say, I obey God because God did something and I responded to it. Darren Patrick, who authors the book that our men are studying, says this, there's nothing more destructive for people who are trying to know God than legalism. You don't obey for your acceptance. You obey from your acceptance because you know God loves you. And so Deuteronomy 6, actually verses 1 to 6, especially verses 4, 5, and 6, are often called the Shema. All right, the Shema. That's what the Jews call it. And it means to hear. Basically what it means is God is totally unique. He alone is God. And there's great safety in that. Because when you believe that, we can now know, our couples, our parents can, teach our children and each other anything else that we lift up over God or rivals God is a false God. It's an idol. Because God alone is God, and we are commanded to show Him love, complete love to Him. Love talked about here is an intimate love. It's a relationship love. It's not cold. It's not wooden. It's not I just want to burden you down with a bunch of rules and then beat you with a stick when you don't measure up. No, it's not that. It's a love that consumes every aspect of our lives. And you notice in verses 1 to 6, this command has benefits. This command has benefits. There is a promise that if you live a certain way, then you'll receive something back from God. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not some formula. Okay, if I get on God's good side, now I can pray some cool prayers and God gives me whatever I want. No, no, no. What he's saying is when you obey God, when you trust Him, when you follow Him, you benefit from that because now you have relationship. You don't have shame and guilt. You are free to fail. You are free to screw up because you run back to the one who's done everything for you, paid everything for you. So you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to act. You don't have to compete. This is what it's doing. Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4 these words, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so for both our couples that are here this morning as families, by fearing and obeying God, we find blessing. The blessing of being in a relationship with Him. That's consistent with all of Scripture. So it is for parenting. So from obedience, from a heart of gratitude towards God for what He has done for, for us, will have the greatest influence on our children. And that's called the ble- promised blessing from God. Oh, and by the way, it also produces the greatest blessings for us as well because now we can rest in Christ. Now you're not looking over your shoulder all the time. That's why Proverbs said, the righteous are as bold as a lion, but he says, the guilty runs when no man pursues. Have you ever been guilty of something and you try and hide it? If you've got kids, have you ever had when your kids got into the chocolate and they don't want you to know? What's the look on their face? You can see the terror in their eyes. I remember I was with friends of mine out in Grand Bank, and uh, one of my buddies uh, decided he was going to take up smoking. But his mom and dad said not to. So we were out behind the shed, and he was having a smoke. And next thing, dad shows up, and so he puts the cigarette around behind his back. And his dad says, boys, are you back here smoking? And I wasn't. This is one of the few times where I was actually a good boy. And uh, he's like, no, dad, not smoking. Meanwhile, the smoke is going up behind the back of his head. And he doesn't understand why dad doesn't believe him, right? See, the guilty runs when no man pursues. But when you just follow God, you have the blessings of this. So love God. John and Jane, love God. That's the greatest thing you'll give Evan and Jaden. Love God. And for Laurie and Spencer, love God. It's the greatest gift you'll give to Mary Spencer and to Harris. But number two, example Christ. Example, Christ, with all your heart as parents and as a people here this morning. That's found in verses 7 to 13. Because Moses says if we are truly sons and daughters of God, then we've got some responsibilities. Responsibilities to meditate on these commands and then to keep them in our hearts. And there's three areas of life where we can make God the centerpiece of our life. Did you notice it? Did you pick it up? Now look at verse 6 again. He says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now notice verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them, notice, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So I want you to realize there's these three things that you can do. You can teach your children about God. You can talk to your children about God at every opportunity. At every opportunity, sitting at home, walking along throughout the day as you go to bed at night, when you rise up in the morning. So here's the big question. Is God the center of your life? Or is your kid the center of their life and yours? See, one of the things that I think is a problem in our churches is that all too often the God of most families is their kids. And you got to be careful from that. You got to be careful. It was the primary role of parents to pass this on to their children, which, by the way, means it's not the job of the school or the Christian school, if some of you got your kids in Christian school. It's not the job of the youth group. It's not the job of even pastors, nor the Sunday school or Sunday school teachers or even the church. They are all tools parents use to confirm this message. 
Deuteronomy 6 teaches that it's not formal training, but when parents out of concern for their lives and the lives of their children make God and His will the natural topic of life, which can happen anywhere at any time. Now, I want you to notice what uh, Moses says here next. Look at verse 8. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you sh- and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, here is legalism, okay? Because the, church, the nation of Israel heard this, and they took this and did exactly what it says. So when it says you should put them on the sides of your house and you should bind them around your, on your arms and you should put them as frontlets between your eyes. Nick, do we have that picture? Can you show that picture? So here's what the Jews did. And this is, this is a modern picture. These things that you see around this little boy here, these are called phylacteries. All right? So they, they literally, you shall bind them around your hand, you shall put them as the frontlets of your eyes. So the Jews turned it into a legalistic thing. Do you know what's inside that little box and there's a thing inside of his hand? You know what's inside there? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. And then they have these things called mezuzahs. When I traveled Israel, these things are usually screwed to the right door of an entrance. And when Jewish people pass it, they'll take the two fingers of the right hand, kiss it, and touch their heart and touch that. Or they'll touch it, kiss it, and then touch their heart as they go through. And you know what's inside this? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. They've turned it into legalism. Now, I'm sure there at one point there was probably some good parents that said, you know what, let's put that actually on the side of the, the door. Let's actually do something so we'll remember. Just like in our day, how many of us have pictures of Scripture hanging on our walls, Bibles on bookshelves, Christian books or Christian sayings on our fridges, and we live life like they don't even exist there? Because many of these boys, this is a picture here. This is really on display at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And you'll see them go through all the thing of getting this all on them and putting this on. And they get their prayer books and they rock and they pray in front of the Western Wall. And then you know what? When it's done, they take it all off and they go live life like nothing happened. And how many parents and families and people will go to church on a Sunday, punch the clock, say they've shown up, and then leave and live whatever way they want? But imagine any other relationship that you have if you live life that way. Again, I go back to marriage. What if I did that to Deb? What if I showed up for an hour and a half and said, Deb, I'm supposed to take you out for dinner. We're supposed to spend an hour and a half together. I tell you I love you. You tell me you love me. And then I'll go live the rest of the way I want for the rest of the week. And I'll be back next week, same time, same place. Any of you that knew me would say, that's not a marriage. So we got to think about these things. So we don't want to turn it into legalism, all right? The message of Moses here is the heart which leads to action, not legalism or traditions or liturgy. So listen, now, this will probably be one of the most controversial things I'm going to say at this church. So here it is, because again, I can run faster scared than you mad, all right? So here it is. Parents, do not give your kids church. Give them Jesus. I love it when Mary's here. I really do. I miss her when she's not here. Don't give your kids church. Give them Jesus. Now, let me explain this. See, if you give your kids Christ, they'll want the church. They'll want the church because Jesus died for the church. Jesus shows himself through the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. And according to the Bible, the church is the bride of Christ. So in other words, don't give them the church and then say, hopefully you'll find Jesus. No, give them Christ and they'll find the church. I promise you that'll happen. But all too often we get the cart before the horse. So church parents, don't confuse the blessings of God with God himself. Always keep your eyes on Jesus. 
Again, so many people want God's stuff, but they don't want God. It's like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 when he goes and says, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? Did you catch that? He didn't say, what do I have to do to have a relationship with you? He wanted to know, how do I get to live, with that, live forever with my money? I want, I want to have all the benefits without any of the commitment. Does that not sound familiar with most re- re- relationships today? I want all the benefits without any of the commitment. And it's creeped into the church. It'll creep into our family. So don't do this. Notice the warning that comes next, all right, in our passage. Look, at, look down here. It says, and when you eat and are full, in verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So you know what? I know that both uh, Lori and Spencer have talked to me about the blessings of their children. And, and, and John and Jennifer, I mean, your story is just miraculous. Literally, both your sons are miracle stories. But, but Moses says, don't get along and just now start taking God for granted. Don't ever assume on His grace. Don't ever forget that when you are full, don't forget the Lord. And don't let your boys forget the Lord. Don't let your daughters forget the Lord. Remember, we're called upon to live a life as Jesus exemplified for us. Think of Philippians chapter 2. Think of Philippians chapter 2 where it says that, that we are to follow the example of Jesus. Though He was God... He didn't think equality with God was something to be clung to, but he gave himself up for surrendered his godness, surrendered his reputation, and became a man in the form of his own creation, lived perfectly. Like our video said, Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. He was perfect for us, but then he gave up everything for us, and so we're called to respond to that. And then finally, you'll notice that from verse 14 to 25, and here's the big thing I want everybody to take is give grace with all your heart as parents and people. I want you to love God. Church, we need to love God, not just talk about Him, not just sing about Him, but actually love Him. We need to example Christ. But you know what? In all those things, you got to give grace because that's what makes the gospel rich. There's too much legalism and, and, and Christian to-do lists. And this is, you hear me now, because if you remember the last part of this, it sounds very much a don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, all right, in verses 14 to 25. You see, in verses 14 and 16, you'll notice some thou shalt nots. Look at your passage. Verse 14, you shall not go. Look at verse 16, and you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And then you've got some thou shalts. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, you shall diligently keep. In verse 18, and you shall do what is right and good. So it seems like you got a list of do's and don'ts here. It kind of contradicts everything I've been saying. I'm saying a relationship with Jesus is not based on legalism, yet Moses seems to be saying, quoting God, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And if you don't do it, then bam. But I want you to understand, for our parents and for every man and woman here, there is a right way and a wrong way to serve God. There is a right way and a wrong way. And let me say this too. Sincerity is not all that matters. There are a lot of very sincere people in the world. But they are sincerely wrong. Well-meaning. But if it's not based in truth, it gets you nowhere. I can sincerely think, and one of the fact, there's a church here in town that I grew up in that we helped build, and I had a friend of mine, and we were putting up the steel trusses, 
and a big crane was putting these up, and we got up there to, to meet the crane. They were lowered down, and then we kind of had to put them as a crane lowered them so they'd fall into place. And this buddy, very sincere, as the wind got a hold of it, because it's Newfoundland, and the, the, the truss, the steel truss started to go like this. Well, we had built this gym, which was made of wood, and the truss was starting to rock back and forth and look like it was going to puncture the, the gym wall. And so my buddy, very sincere, had lifted a lot of weights, all right? Big muscular dude. Stands there and this thing's coming. He goes, I'll stop it. And he was sincere. He meant he really thought he was going to stop it. And all I could do was, get out of the way, you buffoon. All right? And at the last second, he did one of these things as he realized, uh-oh, my sincerity is not going to stop this thing. And it pierced the wall, which would have pierced him had he stayed there. Sincerity is not all that matters. It has to be based in truth. Now, this chapter here, verses 14 to 25, can seem a little legalistic, as I said, right? Do this, don't do that. If you don't do this, then wham. If you do that, then wham. But let's get the rest of the chapter first, okay? Because here's my thing. John and Jen, Evan probably already has. Jaden will, and they both for sure will. And Lori and Spencer, Mary Spencer will and Harris will, as they grow older, they will start asking you, why do we do this? Why do we go to church? Why do you guys read the Bible? Why do we pray before meals? Why doesn't daddy do this? Why doesn't mommy do this? Why don't we go here? Why do we dress like this? Why do, we, why do you guys say to believe in God? Why, why, why? They're going to want to know this. Hmm. And I want you to tell them this. The gospel is always the source of our joy, our obedience, and our blessings. Go back with me to Deuteronomy. Look at this, all right? Verse 20. And when your son or daughter asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, why, why do you guys do this? Why are you doing this? Nobody else does it. Everybody else seems to be good and having a good time. Then you shall say to your son or daughter, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God for our good always. I wish parents would know these verses that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So I want you to realize this as you come. Don't miss the absolute importance of this, okay? As parents, as people, God calls us to love him with all of our heart. But then he, and then he gives us this series of rules and statues and testimonies. But why? Look at what it says. Redemption always precedes holiness. But holiness always follows redemption. So I, when, when my sons or our daughter asks dad, why do you do what you do? What do I say? Well, Jesus says so. And if you don't do it, you get smacked over the head. That would really, really influence them, wouldn't it? That's right, Mary. But I have had my oldest boy, our oldest boy is 21. He's getting married in a few months. And he called me just recently to ask me a question about the church he's attending. And he said, Dad, I'm starting to figure out why you've lived the way you've lived. 
And that was one of the greatest joys I've had as a dad. Because for 20 years, I've wanted to put him in a barrel and seal it. And when he turned 16, I wanted to plug the hole that was in the barrel. But it is really nice when your children start to get it. Do you know how many times our two boys that are 21 and 19 have asked Debbie and I, why? Why do you do what you do? And tragically, for the early part of my life, John and Jennifer and Lori and Spencer, I saw Christianity only as a, bit of, as a bunch of rules. But God in his mercy showed me that he's so much bigger than a set of rules. And he saved me. He's done everything for me. And so what I do now, how I live my life now, is in response and trust to that. And that should be for everybody here. How do you parent? How do you explain your lifestyle and your values and your rules? The gospel. So whether your parents here this morning or you're single, whether you're couples, whether you're seniors, no matter who you are living with in a relationship, whoever you're friends with, give them, show them, talk to them of God's grace. Love God, example Christ, but give them grace. Moses tells the parents when asked by their kids, why Jesus? His answer is because he saved us and rescued us for ourselves. In, in Deuteronomy 6, it's because they were slaves in Egypt. And for us in 2016, it's because we are slaves to sin. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, which leads to righteousness? Now notice this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient. Notice the sequence. From the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were, were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, that you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. You see, when you are a slave to Christ, the benefits are a good life, a healthy life, a strong life, and, and the end is eternal life. When I was a teenager and I was really doubting God and all of this thing, one of the things that really struck me is, what's the worst case scenario? I'm a probabilities guy. And I remember weighing this out and said, you know what? If, if I believe in this, if I buy into this, what's the, how does life for me look? And then I realized, worst case scenario, even if it's all a lie, I live a really good life. I'm a good husband and a good dad. By God's grace, raise some good kids, help and love people, and die at peace. But what if God is right? What if this Bible is true? And I reject it. What's the worst case scenario? Eternal separation from God. And what do you get if you live life? Some of you know my testimony. I packed a lot of sin into my teen years. Debbie is probably the greatest gift from God outside of my salvation. Not probably is the greatest gift from God outside of my salvation. And she did so much with me to show me what love really looks like. But I have tried a lot of things from sex and drugs and alcohol to living for yourself and running away from home. And I want to tell every one of you, none of it pays off. Oh, it feels good for a while. You feel important, but it's always empty. It's never lasting. 
But when you know Jesus, it satisfies. It changes you. So now you parents, John and Jen and Spencer and Lori, you live the Christian life in light of the gospel, in the shadow of the cross. You're going to show, uh, for Spencer and Lori, you're going to show Harris and Mary Spencer, John and Jen, you're going to show Jaden and Evan grace. So husbands and wives show each other grace. Church, Calvary Baptist Church, we need to be examples of grace. Think back to the beginning of the chapter of Deuteronomy 6. These are commands, but they are given with love from the one and only whom they can trust. Now, if you are a parent, and especially a parent of an older teenager, how many times have you wanted to hug them and strangle them all at the same time? Right? How many times have they gone down a certain road and you know that's wrong and you've done this? Now, I'm going to lay down the law. Right? I love the faces. I wish sometimes I could take a big mirror and go, aha. So you look at it. And listen, when I've done that, when I've said to my boys, I am going to lay down the law, you know what? I have never once said that where I thought, now I just want to make my life easier and their life miserable. When I have said that, it's because I have had the utmost love and care for our children. And I want to spare them and save them from a life of hurt and regret. I want to protect them from scars. Guys, God is that plus a million times better. He would never lie to us. He would never say don't do something if it wasn't for our best. He would never say do this if it wasn't going to pay off. So it's about trusting Him. And so I want you to say, why do you do this? Because of the gospel. We've been set free from sin, our sinfulness from the bondage of Satan, from the world and its system that's damned for the righteous judgment of God. And we, so now we obey again, not to earn God's love. You've already have it. And you're going to find protection in the law, safety in the promises of God. You can now run to Jesus for more grace. And so for Spencer and Lori and for John and Jennifer, exemplify that to Harris, Mary Spencer, to Evan and to Jaden. And Calvary Baptist, let's exemplify that to everybody, including each other. Now, the other thing you're going to get used to me about as I call our parents forward here in just a minute, something I'm going to say at every baby dedication, every one, all right? John and Jennifer and Spencer and Lori, you can do everything right as parents, everything. And that does not mean that Evan and Jaden or Harris and Mary Spencer are always going to accept and follow God. You need to know that. The idea that good parents always produce good children and bad parents always produce bad children, that's just not true. That's just not true. Because everybody in here knows families where the parents were a walking disaster. Yet their children turned out to be very decent people, good citizens, responsible adults. And we've all known good families, good parents who sought to raise their children up to know the Lord, and yet one or more of those kids ended up in serious trouble. There are no formulas. See, the Bible gives us governing principles for training our children, but not guarantees in regards to their salvation, because that comes from God and God alone. So we're to apply these principles, and the bottom line is, Know God's word, trust it, pray consistently for your ability as a parent and for your children, love them deeply, take nothing for granted, and cling to the Lord. And I do believe if you obey from a heart of love and trust, I believe you'll receive promised blessings. But remember before anything, the issue is faithfulness, not success or failure. Will you be faithful? It is likely that your boys, that uh, Spencer and Lori, your girls may rebel. 
but their story's not written. You didn't create them. You can't save them. Only God can. Your calling is to point them to Christ through your lives, your words, and your actions. And then trust your heavenly Father. Faithfully love God. Faithfully example Christ. Faithfully give them grace. And so we need to pray for each other. We need to help each other and hold each other accountable in community and alongside all these things. And how do you do that? How do you do that? You've got to realize that their salvation is ultimately and only from God. And like I've pointed out in Deuteronomy 6, and we are here today saying, because Jesus redeemed us, saved us, adopted us, declared us righteous, put us into a living and eternal relationship with God the Father, we now strive for holiness because Jesus is holy. We just want to be imitators of Christ, just like Evan and Jaden will start to imitate you guys. I've already seen it. I've already seen it. And how many times we, he's just like his father. She's just like her mother. How many times? Our oldest boy, Brandon, one day we were at a, a family gathering, and Brandon was stood like this, doing one of these things. And uh, actually, someone that I know, Ken, knows the Pickett's. Mrs. Pickett came up to me, and she said, look at Brandon. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's just like your father. Look at the way he's standing. He's standing just like your father. We imitate. So God calls us as parents to imitate Christ so our kids can see that. And so what's going to be the number one thing you guys need to take with you, everybody in this room? Are you ready for this? Trust God. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, guys, I know many of you know these words, but look at them right now and let them sink in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You see, we only trust in the one whom we honestly believe knows better than we do. Here, listen to me. You'll always do what you believe. All right? If you want to write that down, write that down. You will always do what you believe. Who you trust in is who you will listen to. Often the problem in our world is we trust only in ourselves. We listen to ourselves. But here's the tragedy. You'll lie to nobody more than yourself. You'll convince yourself you're okay. You'll convince yourself you've got this. You'll convince yourself you understand. You'll convince yourself that you can do it and not get in too much trouble. But you'll only lie to yourself. But you'll always do what you believe. Trust in the Lord. Do we trust God like that? And I leave you as parents with this a guy that I, I know and read quite a bit. His name is Reggie Joyner. He was going through his own battles of parenting with his children and he wanted them to follow God, and he, wanted, and he found that he was struggling because he was making his children the idol of his life. And so he started journaling about his fathership. And one day he writes down, after a particularly bad conflict with his two sons and about his family, he sat down and he tried to imagine, what would God say to him? And so in his journal, these, this is what he wrote, as if God was talking to him. And so this is God talking to Reggie, and he says, Reggie, I'm not trying to make your children happy I want them to really live. In the middle of their pain, I can be a better friend than anyone, even you. I am the only one who can really love them unconditionally, forgive them forever, and be a perfect father. You can't. So maybe you just need to trust me enough so that they can see me. Besides, with all your issues, I think it's probably better than for them to trust me more than they trust you. Isn't it more important for them to love me more than they love you? 
I can heal their hearts. You can't. I can give them eternal life. You can't. I'm God. You're not. The only way, friends, that you and I can do that is to take a passage like Deuteronomy 6 and make it the anthem of our lives. So I ask everybody here, starting with both sets of parents, who do you trust in? Who will you trust in? All right? I'm going to ask Jeff and Paul and Daniel and Steve Daw if they would come down here to the front. Don't go get your kids just yet because I want to give you three final things. And John and Jennifer, I hope someone in your family are writing these things down. If not, come and see me afterwards because I want to say something directly now to John and Jennifer and to Lori and Spencer. Three things. Number one, don't overestimate your parenting skills. Don't overestimate them, okay? We have made far too much of ourselves and far too little of God. And that just reflects our sinful bent, okay? Trust God more than yourselves. It is faith and not a formula. It is grace and not guarantees. It's steadfastness, not success, that bridges the gap between our own parenting efforts and what, by God's grace, our children grow up to become. So don't overestimate your parenting skills. Number two, don't overwork at your parenting. Don't overwork at your parenting. See, the question is not should you work. The point is don't overwork, okay? Another way to view that is why we shouldn't overwork it is that it violates a basic scriptural principle. God gives to those who have learned to rest in Him. Do what God has called you to do and then go to sleep. And my father told me, for many of you who don't know, realize this, I ran away from home, embarrassed my family. And when I first ran away from home, my mom and dad were great parents, really were. Were they perfect parents? No, but they were great parents. My father told me years later that when after I ran away, he fasted and prayed for about three days, just really, really in anguish over the fact that his son had gone and what was his role in it and all these things. And he told me that after three days of fasting and praying, God told him, listen, he belongs more to me than you. Go to bed. I will get your boy. My dad says from that day forward, he ate and slept like a baby, bugged my mom to snot because mom sat up and worried and was anxious about me for every day I was gone. And dad slept like a baby because God said, he belongs more to me than you. So don't overwork at your parenting. See, God's blessings don't come by our self-effort. They are produced by his grace. And then finally, don't overlook your kids but don't hover over them either. And I would say for you guys as parents, as well as for many of the parents in this room, that's going to be the hardest thing for you to both balance and accomplish. Not just today, but every day. You see, you need to give yourself and your children to God. They belong more to Him than you. They are a stewardship to you. But will you, and you, you need to spend time with them. You need to teach them and talk to them and walk with them and point them to Christ and turn every and each mundane regular part of each day as a chance to display, talk of, and about God. But will you both as parents give them time? Time to read God's Word, to pray, to contemplate. Will you give them time to question, to succeed and fail, to doubt, to struggle even? Will you not overburden them with activities and try to live your life through them? Don't do that. Don't live vicariously through your kids. Don't take them for granted. And don't assume that they're okay simply because they look okay or talk okay. 
John, Spencer, go on those daddy dates. Jennifer and Lori, go on those mommy dates. Do boy things and girl things. For Spencer and Lori, tell your daughters how beautiful they are based on God's word and his standard of beauty, not what the world says is beautiful. And for John and Jennifer, tell your sons what God and his word says about being manly. Don't give them the world. Give them Christ.